Thank you, Alicia. Friends, good morning. It's good to see everyone here in the sanctuary. I want to welcome you to this third hour of worship on this fourth Sunday in Lent. I also want to welcome all of you who are uh, joining us in worship remotely, whether you're live streaming or uh, participating later on in the week. We're so thankful that you are a part of uh, worship uh, today. We'd be encouraged if you let us know of your presence in worship by checking in. If you're a first-time visitor, there's a little QR code on page 9 of your order for service. If you're uh, participating remotely, you'll see that QR code come up on the screen. Again, for first-time visitors only, right there on page 9, uh, I can promise you that we're not going to arrive at your house at 12.30 this afternoon. Um, we will, however, uh, send you just an email and let you know that we're glad that you've worshipped with us. Uh, and if there's any way that we can help you uh, be connected to the church or ways that we could be praying for you, uh, we really want to know. Uh, we really want to know that. And so, welcome to all of you who are uh, visiting with us for the first time. If you are a member, a friend, a regular worshiper in the life of the church, if you look to page 15, there's a QR code in the right-hand corner just for you. Do check in. Let us know that you're here worshiping with us today. And while you're at it, on page 15, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, you can see uh, information, points of connection, opportunities to participate in the faith, life, and mission of this uh, congregation. And again, we want everyone to know that they're welcome to participate in anything uh, that they see listed here uh, in these uh, days. Uh, we are in the season of Lent. We continue to be in a uh, sermon series on the characters of the cross today, our focus and concentration uh, will be on the soldiers as they appear in the 27th chapter of Matthew. Again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Let us prepare our hearts now as we wait on our morning in Troit. standing before the cross, we bring our sin, we bring our whole selves, we bring the parts of us that we would rather not see or admit to, but we also bring the assurance in that cross and the assurance of the coming Easter that when we confess our wrongdoing and our neglect, God, who is faithful and just, always forgives and cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Believing this, hoping in this. Let us join together in confessing our sin. Let us pray. Holy Creator, we confess and acknowledge that you created us in your own image and likeness so that in our whole nature no imperfection could be found. From this dignity and perfection we have fallen, conspiring against your sovereign majesty. We have shown ourselves hostile to you and have made ourselves servants to sin. 
and thus everlasting death has power and dominion over us all, unless we are reborn from above. By the power of the Holy Spirit, work this rebirth in us, creating in our hearts the confidence of chosen ones with assured faith in your promise, revealed to us in your word. By this faith, we grasp Christ Jesus with the graces and blessings promised in him. Amen. Hear now, O Lord, our silent prayers. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen.
Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 37. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to page 30 of the New Testament. Listen for, listen for and hear the word of God. Then the soldiers of the governor took, took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes. Then... They led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And then they came to a place called Golotha, which, mean, which means place of a school. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gal. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put, it, put the charge against him, which read, 
This is Jesus, King of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caroline. And uh, thank you, Melicia and uh, Tyrone, for being here in worship, both at the previous hour and this hour, and for sharing your gifts. Uh, if you turn, friends, I forgot to mention this earlier on page 13, you'll see a, a little uh, bio for both Melicia and Tyrone. It's part of our uh, Challenge the Stats uh, residency, so please do take a look at that. Uh, again, thank you for being with us in worship uh, today. I'm also grateful and thankful that uh, I see so many children in worship uh, here with us today. Miss Katie is over here uh, to your right. Uh, she's able to take you to godly play if you'd like to participate in that form of worship, specially designed for our children. We have an eager bunch today. Getting ready for spring track season, I see. What a gift it is to have so many children in the life of uh, this congregation. Let us uh, join our hearts together now in prayer. Lord, break open uh, this word afresh to us this day so that we would be changed, that we would be challenged, that we would be different people than those who came into uh, this sacred space this morning. Uh, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, six years after it was first confiscated by the Lebanese government, approximately 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate improperly housed in a warehouse in the port of Beirut caused a massive explosion after a fire broke out in that warehouse. The damage uh, from that explosion was absolutely devastating, and many of us remember images and stories uh, hitting our smartphones and our uh, TVs on that day, August 4th, 2020. Uh, the U.S. Geological Service recorded the explosion as a 3.3 magnitude earthquake 218 people died, more than 7,000 were injured, 300,000 lost their homes. The blast was actually felt in neighboring Turkey, Syria, and the Holy Land. As many of you know, ammonium nitrate is a chemical compound predominantly used as a fertilizer. It's used as well as part of the components that put together explosive devices that are often used in the sectors of mining and construction demolition. Now, the combination of the volume of uh, this particular compound itself, the enclosed nature of the warehouse, uh, the fire, all of these created a devastating and horrific outcome for the citizens of Beirut and for the people of Lebanon. Now, on a lighter note, we know this to be true, that there are some things that we're told just shouldn't mix. There's some things that just shouldn't mix. Bleach and ammonia shouldn't mix. For the younger people, milk and Red Bull shouldn't mix. For the older people, politics and religion shouldn't mix. And 
On a more serious note, you certainly shouldn't mix ammonium nitrate and a flame. Uh, that combination is deadly. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that there is a very dangerous and deadly combination at work in the text that Caroline read for us this morning. A text that in part details some of what happened to Jesus in the final hours of his life. What we have in this text are two combustible elements that when combined produce an explosion on the pages of human history. On one hand, you have the element of God's desire to become human. The element of God's desire to become human. We read about this in the Gospel of John in the opening verses. The Word was made flesh and lived among us. That God has this desire to come near to us, to practice proximity that is born of, of grace and exercised in divine freedom and made manifest in love. That God came into this world in and as the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the one we call the Christ. And yet on the other hand, you have another element. Here you have the element of God's desire uh, to become human, and this element is human's desire to become God. It's our desire to become God, and we're reminded of this desire all the way back in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve are tempted with the temptation to eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if they do, they will be like God. And we've been questing after that fruit ever since. We still have it in us to want to be God, and when these two elements collide, when these two elements collide, when, when God's desire to be human collides with our desire to be God, an explosion is inevitable. In the ancient Near East, 2,000 plus years ago, that explosion produced nothing else but the cross. The explosion of the cross on the pages of human history. Some of you remember in a sermon I preached uh, a few weeks ago, I said that the cross was not God's idea. Jesus wasn't born to die on a cross. Jesus was born to live, and Jesus was born to show us how to live, how to pursue love and faith and hope and generosity and grace and mercy and justice. The cross wasn't God's idea, it was ours. It was ours. And therefore the cross becomes a symbol and an instrument of our own making to stop God from becoming human. Right? I mean, that's what happens on the cross. We can't deal with God being human. And so we must put God down, to stop God from being God in our time and our place, to stop God from having proximity with us, to stop God from meddling in our affairs and, and messing in our life, to stop God from speaking into our lives, whether it's a word of encouragement or a word and a call to reformation. 
to stop God from having God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to send a clear message to God. The cross sends a clear message to God that we got this. We don't really need you. We're fine on our own. I believe this disposition is fully evidenced in the activity of the Roman soldiers. These soldiers from the court of Governor Pilate appear in all four Gospels, and they reveal the depths of depravity capable within the human heart. It's almost hard to recount. It's almost hard to retell. There's something that's paradoxical when we have a young girl read such a harsh text like this one with all its graphic details the pain and the suffering. There's no indication from any of the gospel writers except referring to one of the soldiers that they have any remorse or any misgivings or or, or any concern about the task that they have been given. Right? Many of us, if we uh, use a contemporary uh, uh, image, many of us have seen or read purported accounts of Russian soldiers calling or texting their family members back at home, saying that they they told us that we would be received as heroes. They told us that we would be received as liberators, but we are the evil ones. We, We are the invaders. We are the guilty ones. And unlike some of those Russian soldiers, the Roman soldiers seem enthused by the opportunity to participate in Jesus' subjection and humiliation. They seem enthused by it. They, they tortured him. They mocked him. They crowned him with thorns. They, they stripped him and jeered, Hail, King of the Jews. After they crucified him, Matthew tells us, they drew lots for his clothes. And as he suffered on the cross, we're told that they guarded him. Perhaps they guarded him to prevent a late-hour rescue attempt from Some of his followers, but even by that hour, only a few of those followers remained, and the rest fled into hiding. Now, we're in this series on the characters at the cross, and if you heard the sermon last week, we talked about the wailing women, and I invited us to identify with the wailing women. This week uh, poses a little more of a challenge. Because I think that if I got up here and preached a sermon to you asking you to identify with the Roman soldiers, rather, that show up uh, in these narratives, that that sermon would land like a lead balloon. It's very difficult to see ourselves in the sandals of the Roman soldiers, isn't it? It's very difficult to see ourselves standing in their place. If I got up here and I said, you and I, we're the soldiers. We're the ones who are crucifying Christ. Preaching to church folk, mind you. You're the ones, and I'm the one who's crucifying Christ. That sermon would be a bit odd and perhaps a bit off-putting. After all, the soldiers that we hear about are violent They're unbelieving. They're maniacal. They are a vicious bunch. We are kindly church folk who really only get upset when the service goes too long. (laughs) Or the live stream audio cuts out. Or we run out of cookies. 
at fellowship hour, right? I mean, the soldiers, they carry swords and, and, and reeds as a torture device. We, we carry bulletins and hymnals, right? The, the soldiers mock and jeer. And the worst thing that we say is, bless their heart. But there is a link here. Before we say we have no connection to the soldiers, there, there is a link. There is a connecting point that I want to elevate this morning. And it comes to us, it emerges in Matthew's gospel, the 27th chapter, verse 36 specifically. Matthew says that after they crucified him, but while he was still alive, they cast lots for his clothes. After all, to the victor goes the spoils. Then Matthew says... It's almost a passing line. Matthew says, they sat down and watched him. Or translated, they, they sat down and they, they, they guarded him. The Greek word here, though, at its root, while it can mean to guard or to watch, the Greek word here means to observe. To observe, not, not just to to see something, but to take it in, to observe it, to study it, in order to understand it. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he's teaching his disciples, and he says, keep my commandments. That word keep is the same exact word. Observe my commandments. Take them in. And so what Matthew is telling us is that these soldiers have completed their work. They're now sitting down and they are observing and they are watching. And there is nothing in the text that tells us that what they think they are observing is anything but failure. Is anything but failure. What they were observing was another would-be savior who has come and gone. They observed Foolishness, a revolutionary without an army, without a weapon, without a battle plan, an idealist who lived by love of all things, welcomed sinners and outcasts, and believed that another world was possible. We know what they think they observed. But the question of the moment. A question that often comes to us in the season of Lent is what do we observe when we observe the cross? What is it that we actually observe when we observe the cross? Do we observe a failed revolutionary, a failed rabbi, a failed romantic? Or do we observe something else entirely? Several years ago, a friend of mine attended a leadership conference in in Philadelphia, and and during the lunch hour of this conference, you could pay a little bit extra, and and this was a decade and a half ago, and and so sort of uh, pre-Zoom, and and so satellite technology in conferences was just uh, up and coming, and and you could uh, pick a lunch where they would pipe in through satellite uh, a famous person. And they could, uh, they would be interviewed by a moderator, and then there would be a Q and A uh, to follow. And my friend chose to be part of a seminar uh, that included the great newsman Larry King. Uh, when my friend got there, the breakout room was completely filled—about 150 people or so—and and the moderator finished and opened the floor up for questions. And someone eagerly raised their hand and said, 
uh, Mr. King, if you could interview one person, if you could interview just one person you haven't had the chance to interview, who would that be? And King said, that's easy. I'd interview God. And there was a, a laugh that came about in the crowd, but King was serious. And, and thinking that King was joking, the, the questioner continued on, well, what would you ask God, Mr. King? And King said, that's simple. I would ask God if God has a son. Realizing the seriousness of the moment, the questioner then said, why would you ask God that? King said, I would ask God if God has a son, because if God says no, that has serious ramifications on the world. And if God says yes, that has serious ramifications on the world. Next question. When we observe Jesus on the cross, what are we observing? Are we observing a common criminal or are we observing the Christ? Are we observing a religious rebel or are we observing the righteous son of God? How we answer that question has serious ramifications on our life and on this world and how we show up in it. It is the question that has an answer that will change everything for us. And Lent is the time to turn our eyes to the cross. That's what Lent invites us to do, to observe it and to discern for ourselves. No one else can discern this for you. No one else can discern this for you. Only you can discern this. What are we observing? What am I observing when I look at the cross? Lent is a time to look toward the cross, remembering the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What a perfect way to call the question. Is the cross foolishness to you, or is the cross the power of God? If it is foolishness, we might as well cut the live stream. Don't do that, guys. We might as well cut the live stream, lock the doors, and go on our way. But if it is the power of God, if it is the power of God, there is hope. There's hope. There's hope that suffering can be redeemed, that war can end, that sins can be forgiven, that a new day is possible. There is hope. Because there's nothing God's love isn't willing to endure, even crucifixion. There is hope that salvation is possible both in this age and in the age to come. There is hope that God can take the brutality and humiliation of the cross and the brutality and the humiliation that we've experienced in our own lives and completely and totally redeem it. There is hope. For if God can do that, God can do anything. God can do anything. God can do anything in your life and in the life of the world. So what do you observe when you observe the cross? 
Is it foolishness? Is it absurdity? Is it scandal? Or is it the power of God? Amen. I invite you to stand in body or in spirit. As we profess our faith, church, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, let us turn to our Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, here we are on our Lenten journey. On this journey, we follow you into the wilderness, parched and tempted. We follow you into the homes of tax collectors and sinners to the dinner tables of prostitutes. We watch you get your feet washed with a woman's hair, your robe touched by a hemorrhaging woman, your face get kissed by your betrayer. We journey with you into the unknown, the uncomfortable, the chaos. We watch you suffer and try to take on part of that suffering while we are on this journey so that all may know the joys of resurrection more fully. But on this journey, we also learn that following you is dangerous. O oh Lord, when we follow you into a wilderness of scarcity, of self-emptying, of spiritual renewal, others may tempt us to take back worldly power for our own gain. When we follow your journey of solidarity with the vulnerable, others may take advantage of our humility. When we follow you into the lives of those seen as unworthy, others may begin to treat us as unworthy. When we are bold to enter the intimacy of friendship with outcasts and sinners, others may label us unpolished and reckless. If we follow you as the soldiers drag you into the governor's headquarters, we find that this journey leads to humiliation in the face of power. And sometimes, yes, we follow you as the soldiers more than we follow you as your disciples. We're not ready for this, Jesus. Remind us that when we walk with you into the wilderness, though, and when we empty ourselves, we will be filled with your Holy Spirit. That when we refuse to participate in the powers of the world, we participate in the power of your cross and resurrection. Remind us that when we follow you into humility and solidarity with the least of these, we will be exalted. 
Remind us that when we follow you into the lives of people who don't look or act or love like us or live like us, we have welcomed the stranger and entertained you and angels unaware. Remind us that when we deepen our friendships with those pushed out of sight, we will find your presence more visible and known. Remind us that when we refuse to participate in the condemnation of our neighbor, we refuse to participate in condemning you. Move us. Move in us. Move us from a desire for world domination to a desire for your dominion in your world. Replace our push to humiliate others with a desire to humble ourselves. Give us an insatiable desire to be surrounded by the power of vulnerable relationship with our neighbor, with the stranger, with those who look and act and believe nothing like us, with those who have been pushed out of sight, so we and others may see and know you better, pushing you into the light of the world. Turn our prayers for self-fulfillment into prayer for your fullness in the world, for your heavenly will to be done here and now, just as you taught us to yearn and pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, God has given us such a great gift, knowing that resurrection is coming. And we rejoice in that, knowing that we are in the midst of this journey to the cross with Jesus. And we give thanks for this community of faith that goes along with us on that journey and exemplifies Jesus in our life. With gratitude and humility, we give back to this community of faith that surrounds us with the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. You're invited to give online. You're invited to give using the QR code in your bulletin. You're invited to give using your spiritual gifts in the life of this congregation. Amen.
Let's pray. God, we dedicate our whole lives to you, our material gifts and our hearts and our gifts of service to you and others. We pray that you will empower all of our gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they may be gifts of light and love for a hurting and broken world. It is in Jesus who we pray all of these things. Amen. The season of Lent calls the question, what is it that we observe when we observe the cross? Is it foolishness or is it the power of God? Is it failure or is it faithfulness? And only you can answer that question. What is it that you observe when you look at Christ on his cross? As we continue to discern such things, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day ahead. Amen.